Welcome to Dead Pilot Society, the show that takes comedy pilots from A-list writers that were sold and developed at networks but never produced and gives them the table reads they never got a chance to have. I'm Andrew Reich, the creator and host of Dead Pilot Society. All right, this is the after show for Common Areas by Hillary Winston and Matt Harowitz. As always, I think it is better to listen to the table read first, but, you know, look, it's your call. No matter what, this is an amazing interview. This is just the kind of interview I love. There's so much real practical wisdom and advice from these two how to salvage an interview that's going south, how to start writing literally any scene in a script. We get into Dan Harmon's story circles and how to practically apply them. I even talk some, just because Matt asked me about it, about the Friends writer's room and our process, something that I don't do that often on the podcast. Or maybe I'm delusional and I talk about that all the time. I don't know. Anyway, these two, Hillary and Matt, are great. They're great writers they're great people. They are examples of what I love about the television business. So if you're interested in writing or learning more about the process of how TV shows are written, and let's face it, that's probably why you're here right now, this this one's a must listen. Uh, and maybe you want to listen to this and then listen to the show after. You do whatever you want. But, but listen to this, okay? Please enjoy my conversation with Hillary Winston and Matt Harowitz. Prepare yourself for the greatest pro wrestling podcast spectacular known as Tights A back-dropping audio showcase that helps you understand the world of pro wrestling with a lot of love and no toxic masculinity. Featuring host Danielle Radford. Time to kick butt and chew gum. And I'm all out of butts. Lindsay Cow. I'm a brutal Brit and my fists were made to punch and hit. And Hal Lublin. I was doing the voiceover this whole time. Hear us talk about pro wrestling's greatest triumphs and failures. And make fun of its weekly absurdities. On the Perfect Wrestling Podcast. Tights and Fights. Every Saturday, Saturday, Saturday on Maximum Fun. Um, All right, guys. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, Thank you for having us. Yeah. That That was so fun. It was really so cool to see it read. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. It was, it was really fun. It's, it's such a, it's, and I also love that we got to sort of hear your pitch as if we were, as if we were, were the network execs at the beginning, which was yeah. actually, I think it's really cool for people to hear, well, this is how you pitch a show. Like, yeah. you know, that that's what a pitch sounds like. Um, and I still do. I love that, uh, that you did research. <laughs> you actually did, did research. I, um, I needed a bit to open with, so I did it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. um, normally with teams, I have you introduce yourself. So people know who's who, but I think it's pretty clear who's Matt and who's, who's Hillary here. <laughs> um, but yeah, before we get into talking about this, I, I know you, this is, is this the only thing you two have written together? Yeah. Um, I, w- I was on Hillary's show on bad teacher um, and that was just, uh, we had a blast working together. Obviously it was fun. So okay, so when this came up, we jumped at it. Yeah. So that's a simple, quick story of the, of how you teamed up for this, but let's go by just, um, let's talk about how you guys got your, your start. Um, I don't know who wants to, to go first, but your origin story, do you want to go Hillary? <laughs> um, I can, I can go. Um, yeah. 
I, you know, I have a long history of disappointing my parents. And um, <laughs> so I think that this kind of tracks with that. Um, I was, you know, I went to college in Washington, D.C. to become the first woman president. Um, and <laughs> that, that was a major. Yeah. And so it's really, that was a major. And so that is uh, obviously going really well. Um, first Republican woman president. Oh, wow. And um, I was coming from <laughs> Texas. And, um, and so then I got to college and I met uh, other Republicans. I met um, other people <laughs> at GW interested in politics. And I was kind of like, huh, maybe everything that I planned for in my entire life is, is this is not what I want. Right. And um, so actually, it was kind of a funny story. Um, I was like an orientation leader. I just kind of threw myself into like campus stuff. And I was an orientation leader with Carrie Washington. And Carrie wow. uh, Washington, who was amazing. And um, at that point was already we knew was going to be somebody way more important than we were. And <laughs> she said to me, she was like, you know, I think you're really funny. Um, like actually funny. And there's this uh, like sketch comedy improv group called recess on campus. And I think you should audition for it. And I was, you know, at that point, a serious person and I was an international <laughs> affairs major. Um, and though I was, you know, maybe not as conservative as I once thought I was, I thought that I was going to do something serious. And so I went and auditioned for this sketch comedy improv group and I, you know, got in and then it really changed the whole direction of my life. And again, that's, you know, when I started disappointing my parents left and right, <laughs> and, um, you know, and then ultimately moved out to LA after I graduated with the TV Academy internship program, um, where I interned on the hilarious comedy Star Trek Voyager. <laughs> and, um, that's, and that's how I got it. That's how I got my start. I don't think I even knew about that program. So the TV Academy just, and, and it's for people just right after they graduate or can yeah, you apply when you're still in college? It's, it's for first. seniors and people who've just been out of college for a year. So it was great for me because I worked at this like educational video company right out of college and it was going under and I was kind of looking at like, what's the next thing that I can do. And so I, you know, I found this kind of flyer up like on campus, you know, just like a real movie moment. And I saw that I could still apply and I, you had to write um, a spec script, but for the first round, you only had to submit one scene out of that spec script. So being a procrastinator, I wrote one scene <laughs> from the second to the last scene of a news radio and um, and, then, and, then scene. and then of course the, when I got to the next round they wanted the rest of the script <laughs> so then I had to write the rest of the script around this one scene that I had written <laughs> that's awesome it's yeah. kind of hard to write the, the next to last scene without knowing what the rest of it is that's... yeah especially when you've never written a script before yeah. <laughs> and you know at that point it was like I was going to uh, you know, bookstores and getting books on TV writing and, you know, basically sitting in the aisles, like looking at books that I couldn't afford to buy on TV writing um, and trying to figure out how you format a script and, you know, what I needed in this script that I had promised was written that I had not written. <laughs> and did, did anyone else from that, from recess, from that improv group, move out with you? Did you know other people or were you just like, I've got this internship and I'm just coming out and I don't know anyone? 
you know, there's a couple of people. I mean, GW is not a hotbed for comedy writers. Right. Like, if you've never heard of the GW mafia, the, the pipeline right into <laughs> yeah. the senses, right? It's Chuck, Chuck Todd and, and Hillary Winston. Yeah. Um, so, and also, just a side note, GW, for some reason, like anytime there's something horrible in the news, like they went to GW. <laughs> like, it's like uncanny. Like, somebody's been involved in some horrible scandal. Like, you know, somebody was like a 9 11 hijacker. Like, oh, God. <laughs> you know, got a master's from GW, you know, it's like really, really insane. So now my husband notices it. And every time he was like, GW. Um, so, uh, so I, I knew a couple of people from my comedy group that had come out here, one of which wrote on Bad Teacher, um, him and his writing partner, um, Matt Flanagan. And uh, so there were a couple of people really just, you know, not, not, not that many. Um, Ptolemy Slocum, who was in Recess with me, was like on Westworld. And he, um, you know, does a lot of commercial acting and stuff. And we were really kind of just out here on our own. And so that's why the TV Academy program was really good, because at least it kind of got you in that world. But then it got you in there with sci-fi drama writers. Right. <laughs> right. So you. Yeah. So what's your is your internship in with is with the writers on Star Trek Voyager? You're like yeah. So I was the writer's assistant. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. So then, how do you get from there? to comedy writing you know i don't i i like don't even know (laughs) how did this possibly possibly happen um you know groundlings i you know i found groundlings and yeah i worked my way up through that program and even though i knew that i did not have the talent to be an actor uh their writing lab is what really drew me in which is once you get up a few levels there's a writing lab where you write all these sketches and you perform them and most of the people in the program are not as interested in writing and so then you kind of really get your moment finally, <laughs> um, you know, if, you, if you're the writer. And, you know, that was such a great experience. And at that point, I just started writing spec scripts, applying to all the different programs. And um, through Erica Rivanoia, who also wrote on Bad Teacher, who is one of my best friends, she was working on South Park. And when we met on Groundlings and she knew this, um, her agent's assistant had just been promoted to a coordinator. And it was like, oh, my gosh, I can maybe get you his stuff. And <laughs> his name was Mickey Berman. And he was still like answering calls and, you know, um, and reading material. So I was one of his first three clients. And um, I wrote a script, you know, at that time, this was really of the moment was to write like a short script that was kind of catchy that like was unforgettable. And so I wrote a script called The Secret Life of College Lesbians um, because, you know, somebody told me like, you got to write something that like an agent would read. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's great. And that's what, and you were signed from pretty much from that. And you're one scene of a news radio. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I, luckily, I don't think anybody ever saw that news radio other than the very nice uh, women that ran the program at the Academy. So. <laughs> That's funny. And then yeah. what was, you know, once you have the agent, what was the first job? So um, I was hired on the Orlando Jones show, which was a late night, late night. Yeah. show. And it was a, a very, uh, you know, it was like, all stand-ups basically in me. And it was kind of like, what am I doing here? And it was a very, very funny group. Uh, It was just a very unfocused show. And I don't think anybody knew kind of what 
they wanted this late night vibe to be. Um, I know we spent a lot of time drinking and a lot of time designing the green room. <laughs> and I didn't know if that was just the way it was in Hollywood or if that was just that show. Um, but, uh, and then it was, it went under uh, very shortly after that. And then one of the writers killed his wife. So that was... What? Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Like somebody that gave me a lot of, and you can include this or not include this, but somebody who gave me a lot of advice because there was a threat of a strike and it was my first writing job. And I was so nervous and I was like crying at work because I was like, I, this is so stressful. Like I just got hired and now there's going to be a strike. Like I don't, I can't afford to like just walk away from this job. And you know, he was the person who pulled me aside and he said, you know, I'm just going to give you some advice as a woman in this business, you can't cry at work. You know, he was like, you can cry in your car. You can mm -hmm. cry in your office. You guys not don't cry in your office. You share an office at some point in your life. You'll be able to cry in your office. You know, he's a very funny guy. And, you know, he was like, I just, it's going to really help your career. And like, you gotta, you gotta keep this in mind. Um, and he was great. And actually Lee Eisenberg was the writer's assistant on the show. And that's how Lee Eisenberg and I became really good friends. And we were, you know, we hung out with this writer all the time. And then a couple years later, kills his wife. He's in prison. Jesus. Oh my God. So what do you, how do you edit that advice when you're like, the best advice I ever got was from, <laughs> was from a murderer. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. That is insane. And yeah. then any murderers on the next show you were on or you know, it was blue collar TV. So I, <laughs> um, yeah, you don't want to, Woof. <laughs> uh, so that's so your agent's just like okay she's from texas here's that's she's got an accent let's get her on blue collar tv yes yes and um i think i remember i pitched a show in the in the meeting for that that was um the idea was that you showed pictures of bellies and it was like pregnant belly or beer belly <laughs> that was the that's that what I got you. Yeah. That's what I think. I, we didn't overlap on blue collar, but Wait, you I, were on blue collar too. I was on blue collar. I got hired when they wanted to expand their writing staff to include, um, uh, I guess Jews. <laughs> I guess, <laughs> I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that was the only other thing. And I'm convinced cause I pitched three sketches, but at the end of my meeting, I went, all right, thanks for the meeting like that. And I snapped. And I don't know why I snapped. And then I made fun of, I was like, I don't know why I just snapped. I am so sorry. Like, and I had this <laughs> meltdown about snapping and they were on the floor. And like, they were just the guys who were, uh, who I was meeting with, they were just like, th they were laughing about how, how I was spiraling out. And I'm a hundred percent sure. I called Mickey from the parking lot and I was like, Hey dude, just so you know, that was the worst meeting of my life. I snapped at the end. I don't know why I snapped. I'm not getting this job. <laughs> he's like, hold on for a second. They're calling on the other line. It's like, they're making you an offer. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> it could only be because I snapped. Like, That's a great story. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. <laughs> But that yeah, I guess they were like that neuroticism. That's Judaism. We should put <laughs> right. This is just the kind of Jew we're looking for. <laughs> that's, <it>. that's authentic <laughs> Judaism. Wow, that's like some part of your brain was like, I gotta save this. I gotta save this. <laughs> gotta save and it. Like knew the snap. Yeah, I knew the snap. The only this other yeah, the, the only other time that happened, something like that happened was, and I think he'd be okay with me telling the story. I had a, I had a meeting with a showrunner who started it off 
by asking, he's like, if you don't talk shit about your last boss, you're not getting the job on this show. He's like, I know, yeah, I know it was a nightmare job and I need you to tell me how much of a nightmare it was. And I wouldn't do it. But all I did was apologize for, I was like, I'm ruining your couch with back sweat right now. <laughs> and I, just, I just kept apologizing for it. And I think that back sweat bit got me the joke, got me the job on that, on that other show. See, um, this is useful information for the, for the, for the would-be writers listening. This yeah. is the kind of real nitty gritty info yeah. um, that gets um, you jobs. Yeah. No, being, being, uh, being present and being in the moment and being able to be funny about it, I really think is like yeah. genuinely good advice. It's uh, um, I, I uh, mentor some uh, writers through the writers guild and Hillary's going yeah, <laughs> to be speaking at our next uh, zoom. Um, but uh, um, I, that's one of the things um, Max Muchnick was on the last one. And he's like, Matt comes into the room and he's doing jokes about what's happening right there in the meeting at the room. And you just, you're like, okay, there's funny stuff mm -hmm. we can use from this person. And it was really like, yeah, I, I was panicking. Um, <laughs> I didn't know what to say. So I told him I was panicking and it was like, it used to work in stand up, and it worked, it works in the meetings too. Yeah. Wait, so, so you both, so you both started in sketch, Matt, were you doing stand up before you <laughs> Yeah, I um so I started I my goal also um as a side effect of disappointing my my family was uh to get into comedy and I wanted I wanted to be in late night like that was the mission. Um and so I started having panic attacks early in college about how I was going to get that job. I, I went to Ithaca College so I got an internship uh right after freshman year with a radio station that I knew kind of had a track record of getting interns to like, uh, you know, news, news organizations and stuff and NBC. And so, um, that's next summer I got to intern for the late, late show with Tom Snyder out here in, in LA when they had just kind of started. And I knew that was worldwide pants. So that was the way into, to Letterman. And, um, the summer after that, I interned, I was supposed to intern for late for late show with David Letterman, but they ended up assigning me to Adam Resnick and he was doing a sitcom for HBO called the high life, which debuted the same year as Arliss and HBO famously told us we're only going to pick up one show <laughs> and they picked up Arliss. <laughs> so Arliss ran for a long time, but I stayed in touch with Adam Resnick and then a lot of the people uh, who worked for Tom Snyder moved over and worked for Kilborn. And I called them when I graduated and ended up, I was Craig's assistant, but I was writing a ton of jokes and that was kind of how I got my, my bump up. And at the same time I was introduced to Jeffrey Ross and started writing a lot of roast material for him. And, um, you know, that, 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 those roasts always helped. And, uh, I got jobs on the comedy central roasts and stuff like that. Um, and that led to a bunch of punch-up gigs. And I did some punch-up for uh, Aton Cohen on some of his movies. And in those rooms were a lot of sitcom writers. Um, and I, you know, that was just kind of where I was like, oh, I definitely want to now transition out of late night, out of sketch. And um, I talked, talking to Aton, he had, there was one year where he had two friends um, uh, from the Lampoon that both had pilots. One was Shauna and one was Scott. 
Silveri, uh, Sean Goldberg, Meehan and, uh, and Scott. And he recommended me to both of them and Shauna hired me, uh, for, um, better with you. So I, that's how I got into the, the sitcom world. Okay. And, uh, and yeah, so th- after that, it was just like, luckily punch up rooms, I think have always been a, a good, <laughs> a good helper for me. I do punch up on pilots, help people out. And, um, after better with you, Malin's, uh, Greg Malin said, Hey, um, my friends have pilots. Uh, they want me to come pun- do punch up. I don't want to do it. <laughs> so can I send you? <laughs> and I said, I said, yeah, I'll go for sure. I did. And those always, those always helped. So I well, think that's, that's my, you, you love room temperature sandwiches. I do. I love yeah. room temperature sandwiches. Um, and I, I like getting really nervous the night before something. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's what I'm good at. I think that's, that might be how we met Hillary, right? Like I did punch up yeah. on one of your pilots, Mickey, Mickey sent me in yeah. and I went and I, um, it was the farm, the uh, pharmaceutical, one, pharmaceutical yeah. one. Yeah. 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 That was a, that was a fun room. I remember yeah, it was like, that was really fun. It was like Kevin Beagle. It was yeah. first time Greg Metler, you know, Danny, Danny, Danny Sean, yeah, yeah. yeah. Danny Sean was there who was amazing. I, I remember he was very quiet. He spoke three times and when he did everything crushed and got in, I, that's yeah. all, I just, I remember it's him a sitting way to play a room. You know, it's like when you see, when you're at some of those punch-ups and you have, you know, people who are really successful and some, sometimes you meet them before they become really successful, but you see their different moves, you know, and everybody mm-hmm. has kind of their style. And yeah, Danny was like a silent killer, you know, where mm-hmm. it's like, you know, like, you know, sits there, listens, 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 and then comes in with like a couple of killer things, you know, then there's right. a style, like, here's a thousand things, you know, <laughs> right, and, right, like right. three things are good, you know, yeah. then there's the like, you know, let's, let's like, you know, tear up this whole script like kind of thing, you know, oh, um, oh my there's... God. Yeah. <laughs> those are the worst. That's not the good strategy. Yeah. It's, <laughs> no one's happy to have the person come in and just wanting to restructure. <laughs> yeah. That's just not your job in those yeah. rooms. Yeah. That's just like a friend of your agents or, a client of your agents that like you've never met before who's then like this is the thing i just think that the whole second act is work <laughs> and you're like what was your name again okay. right right <laughs> oh my god i've been on i've been to a couple of those i don't remember the name of the pilot but i it, i did punch up on it and um it was a saturday punch up which was weird ah. so they were calling in extra people and it was like all the showrunners on deals at Sony were there. Like Tom Hertz was there. Psychowitz was there. Mitch Hurwitz was there. Um, uh, what's Jim. Uh, who's the guy who did rest of development with Mitch Jim. Um, oh, he's hilarious. Yeah. I'm blanking on this. Jim, yeah, Jim Valley. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So Jim Valley's pitching gold, like <laughs> yeah. just gold so home run after home run. And the showrunners aren't putting it in. And then he pitched one joke that was so good. We were dying. And then the showrunner just went, I just don't. And he went, fuck you guys. I'm going home. And, then he, <laughs> and he got up and he walked out. And it was like, huge laugh. Is this a bit? No one knew. Never came back. Yeah. Then when dinner came, dinner on Saturday, when dinner came, then they're called out, uh, Jim, Jim, <laughs> they're like, <laughs> and the, this poor showrunner had to be like, 
uh he said fuck you guys are going <laughs> home about an hour ago and so it was <laughs> maybe put it in the fridge we'll yeah. see <laughs> that was great so let's talk about because i mean Matt, you know, because I've known you for a while and, and I remember in those days when like Scott and Shauna were, you know, you were like a joke guy, right? You were known. It was just like Matt kills. He's a great joke. Wow. Thanks. Joke writer. <laughs> um, and that's continued, you know, but obviously you're you're now more than <laughs> more than that. But but was that a role um, that you 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 liked being that was it something where you felt like you had those skills but the skills mm -hmm. of like structure and um, breaking story came later yeah yeah i mean I, like learning story and breaking story like that was certainly what i was most looking forward to learning when i got into those rooms and i knew my ticket in would be uh writing jokes but m more than more than the writing jokes especially like on the fly on a multicam set tape night and you're pitching jokes like i i had the skill set having been in late night and written tons of jokes and on the on the roasts where i had the thick skin that a lot of lower level writers didn't have so if i pitched a joke and it bombed it didn't take me out for that long i was right. i was able to bounce back and and, and still kind of keep my wits about me and pitch um and then like on that staff so Adam Chase was really good about like explaining story and structure and all that stuff to us lower level guys. Gary David Goldberg would come by the writer's room too. And you would go in to get a to get a bagel um, from the, from the kitchen and end up having a 45 minute discussion with him about story. Then you had uh, John Holberg and Kat Lickle who came out of uh, the, my name is Earl camp where everyone seemed super supportive and they would take you aside and be like, hey, when you're pitching stories, like think about we're kind of in this lane or when we're trying to do a rewrite, you know, approach it this way. Everyone, every, all the upper levels were great to uh, Greg, obviously, and Shauna included, were great to the lower level people. And um, it was a very easy place to be like, um, why do we have to have this act break be like this, <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> and, and have them explain Well, like Greg, when he sent me off on my first draft, uh, Malins was like, just start every scene with a character enters and says, here's what I want. And the next person says, you can't have that because, <laughs> and he's like, just that baldly write that draft and then go back in and make it less gross. <laughs> and, and that was it. And that was like, okay, that's what a scene, someone wants something and can't have it. And, um, and you know, they, everyone was really good about it. Um, did you, Hillary, did you have those people? Cause you're also coming out of sketch and improv. Did you have those people when you're starting to be on staff? Yeah. You know, what was, um, what was kind of my grad school was I worked on a Nickelodeon show, um, called just for kicks. And just for kicks, um, starred Jessica Williams, actually. Oh, wow. Um, who was very young at the time. We were all very young at the time. <laughs> and, um, you know, this writing staff had was WGA. So it had four writers. <laughs> and, um, the uh, showrunner was replaced, you know, in the middle. And um, the guy who came in, Matt Dearborn, 
um, was a guy who was also one of George Clooney's best friends. So that was uh, very fun. He's like in that gang of guys that like, you know, was in the wedding in Venice and is always just like around him or whatever. He gave his friends like all like $2 million or something. You know? um, and, you know, he, we had to break all the stories together. It was a lot of episodes and he didn't have anybody else to do it. Like we had to be able to deliver. And it was, I wrote four episodes, which is so much for like the first scripted show that you're on. Yeah. And you kind of had to figure out how to make it work. And you had to be the person coming up with ideas. And in that room was actually a writing team, Jim, um, Jim Patterson and Steve left. And then they actually left to go write on two and a half men. And they're great writers. And Jim ended up running that show and then mm -hmm. ran the ranch. And you know, so it was like, it was Nickelodeon. And at the time people were like, so snobby about taking those jobs, but then they were incredible writers that I learned so much from and they couldn't ignore my pitches because they literally had to take them, you know, right, right. And, and it was, it was great. It really was like, kind of like a writer's boot camp, so that when I got to my name is Earl, which was very supportive in that we were like a family, but it not necessarily the place where you were going to learn how to write, you know, um, you were, it was supportive, like when you kind of did the work before you got in the room, but not necessarily like pulling you aside and saying, this is how it works. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, not that people wouldn't, and I definitely got some, you know, definitely got good advice, but it was, it was really a, like a get things done kind of room. And, you know, I just for kicks, it was like, we were just kind of living there in that room and going through all these stories and really talking about story development. And it's one of those things that you, I think that when you're not in the business and you think, oh, a Nickelodeon show writes itself. And then when you have writers <laughs> who are talking about like Joseph Campbell you know, yeah. in an episode about like a 13 year old girl who won't use a public bathroom, you know, it's just, it's, you know, it's funny. It's not, it's not what you think, but there's obviously a lot more that goes into it. Yeah. But that's, I mean, like I, st I just, I still have that paranoia of being the joke guy who, you know, like I very early on uh, my second show, when I was a story editor, I was running rooms and stuff and people were trusting me with story and helping break stories, but I still felt, and I still to this day feel paranoid about it. So I buy all the Joseph Campbell books. <laughs> I, uh, I just bought a book that I heard about on a pod. I listened to all the podcasts, uh, the story, a book called the story grid that Steven Pressman <laughs> talked about on his last press tour. Like I'm, I'm still trying to, you know, overcome that. You're just the joke guy thing in my head, <laughs> which is like, I remember, I, there was a day on bad teacher where you, we all asked you, but I was desperately waiting to hear you talk about Dan Harmon's story circle. <laughs> like, and you, you brought in a, you brought, I think, was it a handout or a photocopy of something? Yeah. Like, yeah. But yeah, I think about that all the time. Yeah, I don't know if we've had any community writers on the show who can talk about, will you, will you just briefly talk about Dan Harmon's story circle? <laughs> This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. It doesn't matter who you are or what you have. Life can be stressful now more than ever. But maybe, you know, we're all getting through the days and we can put on the act and we can seem like we're okay. I don't think anyone's really okay right now. 
Simone Biles isn't okay. Naomi Osaka isn't okay. So how are we expected to be okay? You may not be depressed with a capital D and or feel like you're at a total loss. Maybe you're not in full despair. Just those kind of, you know, low-level despair. But if your stress is high, you could probably use the chance to unload, to unload, to get it out, to talk to someone who's unbiased about your life, who's not going to judge you or take sides. You know, friends are great, but sometimes they're not enough. You know, you'll be surprised about how much it can help. But BetterHelp is customized online therapy, offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. And it's more affordable than in-person therapy. So see if it's for you. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Dead Pilot Society listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash deadpilots. So check it out. Have your first session in under 48 hours at B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash dead pilots. Are you feeling elevated levels of anxiety? Do you quake uncontrollably, even thinking about watching cable news? Do you have disturbing nightmares, only to realize it's two in the afternoon and you're up? If you've experienced one or more of these symptoms, you may have FNO, news overload. Fortunately, there's treatment. I'm Dave Holmes, host of Troubled Waters. Troubled Waters helps fight FNO. That's because Troubled Waters stimulates your joy zone. On Troubled Waters, two comedians will battle one another for pop culture supremacy. So join me, Dave Holmes, for two, two, two doses of Troubled Waters a month. The cure for your news overload. Available on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. You just briefly talk about Dan Harmon's story circle. Yeah, you know, it's it's basically like Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. Um, you know, it, it's just slightly modified and, you know, and put on a circle. So the, the good thing about doing a circle and like a community at any given point, there'd be like six, just what we call story embryos, like up on a board, which were various, you know, um, you know, a script, a story would have be on various places on the circle. So it's kind of like, you know, a really simple, you start in the, you know, the known world and, you know, your character, um, you know, has a call that he refuses. And then at like a quarter into, you know, your show, he, you know, accepts and enters the unknown world. And so then that half of the show is kind of unknown world. And, you know, at the the midpoint, it's like the complete opposite of where they were at when they started. And then there's like a complication. And then there's like a meeting with the father, like some sort of reconciliation, and then they re-enter the known world having changed. That's like there the kind is. of simplest. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And do you <laughs> do you still use it? Do you when you're writing a pilot? I do because it's usually what I do when there's a problem and I can't identify what the problem is. So then I'll put it on a story circle because then you're kind of like, okay, so where is this character starting? You know, what, what is the call? Like, are, what, what are they refusing? Um, and it's not, it's not always as simple because not everything is like, go fight a dragon. I don't want to fight a dragon. It's like, <laughs> right. well, you're going to fight a dragon. <laughs> so, you know, you have to kind of, you know, figure out what, what is this person, you know, why are they in their comfortable world? 
world, like what, what are they refusing to do to take them out of their comfort? Um, and then I think it really helps to look at, okay, so the midpoint of your show, like should be the complete opposite of where they started and they should be furthest away from their goal. So if their goal where it starts out is like, I just want to be, you know, comfortable and, um, and be, you know, happy in like my marriage or writing an according to Jim, you know, I just want to be happy. I want my wife to leave me alone. <laughs> you know, at the bottom, <laughs> you've, you're Jim and you flooded the basement and now your wife is all over you. And the only thing you wanted to do is like, be comfortable, watch the game. And like, yeah. now your wife is all over you and you flooded the basement, you know? I didn't realize, did you write that episode of according to Jim? Andrew did, uh, just on friends, like, was friends your first job no, no. I, I was on a, a couple of shows forgettable shows before that but yeah well, was like because david from what i've heard david was like the story guru right yes uh, did he have a philosophy that he imparted did he talk about it or was it just something you were expected to pick up on i think it was more with him it was much more osmosis there was there was no grand theory with him you were just watching someone who had such an incredible instinctive uh knack for story mm -hmm. that it was more just like being in the room and seeing him do it but i don't remember him ever saying you know like the thing that greg malin said to you like that's not coming from david crane like he would never lay it out that way like here i mean he would certainly often when we're stuck he would he would ask questions like well what does you know what does rachel want like you know whoever the story it was he would he, we were taught to to look there because that's so often the problem is that your character doesn't want anything mm -hmm. um or want something where there's not significant obstacles so the, those things but it was more you would just see him over and over again like we would be banging our heads against the wall for hours on some store stuck on some story. And he would come in and go like, Oh, well, if you just do this and then this, and you would go like, Oh my God, that, that <laughs> now it, now it works. And so, but I don't really remember him. There were no circles. There was no Joseph Campbell. There was, there was nothing like that, but he, mm -hmm. he just, he just always knew like, okay, you can just, you just have to adjust this. And now, now suddenly that's, there's an act break and there was a story. Mm -hmm. um, and, and did it feel, did it feel different to you from like the shows you'd been on before where you were like, Oh, this is another level. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always say like, I, I learned almost nothing on the first two shows I worked on other than a bunch of things not to do. Um, and it, and it wasn't even, you know, certainly in the case of the second show I worked on, it was a really good showrunner. It was just the show was kind of ill conceived and there were problems. So I just felt like I didn't really learn when I got to friends and started seeing, I'm sorry, I don't want to make this interview about me, but, but you asked Matt, um, yes, I, but, yeah, I, but I did I'm, when I, when I saw, I <laughs> when I saw, um, you know, once I got in that room, I was like, Oh, I, I don't, I, you know, I, I think of it as the first show I was on. Cause I don't really think I learned much on those, those other two. And part of it was on those other shows. I feel like there was a lot of writing jokes and putting them in because they had the rhythm of a sitcom joke. Like they just, they, they felt rhythmically like a joke. They weren't right. funny or good. Right. Um, it was just like, Oh, that sounds like a joke. So that goes in. And no one was really trying to like, is this real? Does this feel like this is real characters? Like this is coming from real places or something 
something that we, we care about? Is it coming from something that maybe happened to one of the writers in real life? Or are we just coming up with like wacky sitcom shit? Mm-hmm. Um, right. And that was like a revelation that everything on the on friends pretty much was just like, Oh, this happened to me. Okay. Let's, well, if we exaggerate this element of it, then now, now we, we have a story. Um, but yeah, so I'm fascinated, like, you know, things like story circles. Like I'm always, yeah. uh, you know, I, I took like Robert McKee's class when I first got out and I found it very intimidating because I was just not able to map things. I felt like if it's not exactly falling on this structure, then it's not good. And so I'm always nervous about using those kinds of things, but I'm wondering like with common areas, did you ever, was there was there a circle at any point with this? <laughs> you know, I did. I put it up on a circle. You know, like I think that that's when we were kind of looking for, um, you know, a big thing to kind of happen in Act Three, and we had Bo coming back to propose. It was like, okay, you need something that is going to take her, you know, potentially back into her known world. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, he is somebody she started off literally in a town called comfort, you know, Mm -hmm. in her comfort zone. And then this is a person that is like beckoning her back to her comfort and how much easier it would be to just like do that. So, you know, it's pretty very Joseph Campbell, I guess we get to the literal word comfort. Yeah. I mean, it does make sense in this case where she is, she's definitely going into the unknown world and she really wants something. Um, Mm -hmm. And they were, I mean, like it felt like, you know, a lot of times with multicam and stuff, I feel like you're, you're fighting for a simpler, like very streamlined story. And correct me if I'm wrong, Hillary, but my, my memory was like, it felt like they kept wanting more turns and it felt like they kept wanting more action and more like moves and like this to take this group of strangers and make them, you know, a family by the end required a lot of like plot and movement. And, but to make that feel like emotionally story driven was like, we would have ideas and we would be like, well, I mean, they go to this place, they go to that place. Yes. But, but why, and what does that show us about this character and how does that tie us to this character? And how does that, how, how does, you know, so-and-so learn about the other person? It was like the, 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 they were the notes. I feel like were asking for a lot of plot that we had to then kind of weave into the story and emotion of it. Um, so it became a lot more complicated. Like I was like, I was like, after listening to the read, I was like, wow, I forgot how much is in here. <laughs> like yeah. there's a lot. Yeah, there was a lot in there. Well, yeah, it's also it, like I think how it, what kind of changed multicams a little bit is like by having by having all these single cams, you know, because single cams really rely on a lot of like action and stuff to drive stuff. And like multicams, you know, everybody loves Raymond can be four scenes, you know. Um, and so I think that when we've gone back to multicams, you know, after having lots of, you know, a taste for single cams, like I think we expect a lot more plotting instead of like, you know, on on you know older generation like multicams it could just be 
one big thing. Like Bo just showing up, you know, and saying he was a fiance was like enough instead of needing to have the dog and they have to go on a chase and they have to do all this, that would have been enough. And just having them conversations about like their own life experiences and what she's deciding. And then you end with him proposing on the roof and everything stays in the building, you know, that would have been the old, the old version or yeah. I mean, when you look at, when you go back and you read some of those older pilots and you're like cheers and you know, how little movement there is in cheers and how, it, and, it, and I say this in a great, in a great way. Like I I'm, I'm envious of how streamlined and clean it is. Like yeah. you go back and watch the Frasier pilot and there's title cards. <laughs> like it's yeah. just, it's so there's this elegance to the simplicity of it. You know, yeah, like in the cheers pilot, they don't go look for Diane's like the professor that she's supposed to meet. They're not like, Oh, he's standing you up. Let's go find him. And they don't go on a mad dash <laughs> around the city, like looking for him and waiting outside his apartment and seeing him coming out with another co-ed, you know, <laughs> like, and yeah. that would be kind of, I feel like the version that you might get to now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think once it became, people were conscious and the executives, especially conscious of, Oh, this is a multicam rather than this is a television show. Cause, and this is, this is a comedy and all comedies are pretty much multicam that awareness of like, we're doing a a multicam and that, and there's a problem with that almost Mm -hmm. like that you have to solve by doing these other things. It it, it really wants the the form wants to be theater, right? It just wants to be great characters with strong attitudes Mm -hmm. and situations where the characters have strong attitudes about, and we love the characters and, and that's the fun of it. Yeah. Yeah, They want it to be a, Hey guys, this is what just happened to me that you didn't see. Let's talk about it. And and so then it's, it's so it's confusing when you have that and you have just seen the scene. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I know. It's, I mean, how I met the, how I met your mother pilot was a big, you know, obviously game changer. Um, and even like the structurally the way Seinfeld was, it felt like there was a lot going on, but those were smaller stories instead of like one big story. I don't know when a, a traditional A, B and C story. Um, you know, I, I like when you watch an old Raymond, like they're, beautiful they're like yeah. you know what everybody wants there's conflict between the characters and you can get a laugh off of a look like you can get a laugh off yeah. of the spots because it's so clean and the scripts i was always shocked the scripts are so short too mm-hmm. it's just like they're they're just and yeah. yet that was just like 22 great minutes and it was you're right there's mm-hmm. it was a very few scenes it was not a lot of like like there's sea stories or anything it was mm-hmm. it was simple but just yeah, yeah you love you love the characters mm-hmm. you know um, now now pilots have to be like little movies yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. it's like that's what it feels like. And and look, you know, I really like common areas, but it's like, you know, there's just so much going on. And yeah, when you hear it read out loud, you're like, we could have never shot all of this. Like no. <laughs> yeah. and it's just it is just like the pressure to submit this little like movie. Um, and uh-huh. that's that what that's what they're presenting forward. And it's also something that's not gonna be shot that way. So it's the whole pilot process is always so strange of uh, the presentation of it you know right um and then the reality yeah. of what they're actually going to get too. right because it is another thing that i find i'm always reminding myself of is it's a sales tool when you're writing that pilot you have to think like this is a sales tool 
at a certain point, it'll be a script that needs to, you know, that a UPM is going to look at and budget right. and you're going to yeah. figure out how you're going to actually make it. But, but for a lot of the process, you're not there. You're, yeah. you're just trying to have this tool to sell various executives who you'll never, you know, who are higher up the chain than the people that you're dealing with on like, Oh yeah, this is a show that we'd like to make. And then you worry about all the other stuff yeah. later. And, but they're just like reading it on their phone. <laughs> you know, you know that somebody is just like on a treadmill or reading your pilot on the phone. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. And with combinators, you also, you know, there's a lot of characters, right? So you have that, you know, you have a big ensemble um, and, you know, you know, that, that had to have been, you know, how do you introduce a, a bunch of characters quickly? Because with a, with a sitcom, with a comedy, you can't start laughing until you know, okay, I get who this character is and what their joke lane is. And now I can start enjoying them. Um, but here, you, you, you know, the way this is, is constructed, you have to meet a whole bunch of people quickly, right. And, mm. and get to know them. It was, was that, I mean, I find that that's always very difficult. That's a very difficult part of, of pilots. You remember that part, um, you know, as, as uh, yeah, I mean, the, the exposition, yeah. Figuring out, figuring out how to get in the exposition, um, into the pilot naturally so that people understand who these people are, how they fit together and how they're going to bounce off each other is always impossible. <laughs> and <laughs> you're at some point going to say, I, you're my brother. And I know that, you know, and you, and, and you hate yourself typing it. Um, but it's interesting because when I was reading the script before the read through, I, I was thinking about like, I have these two, I think about the pilot in two kind of stages, which is the written document that has to convince the, the, um, the execs to make it. And like, being able to say funny things in the action lines that won't ever see, <laughs> won't ever see the light of day is like weirdly important to me in the writing stage of like, I just want to make this fun to read. And um, then I'll worry about how we're going to shoot it after. That's why like after the read, I was like, okay, now we got to start to think about the rewrite because that's how my mind works is after a table read, it's like, okay, how do we make this into not a written document anymore? Yeah. Um, and um, um yeah. So it, it's always, I, there were lines in there that, 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 that hurt to hear because <laughs> they're not natural. They're not the way pe people speak, but they're the way we have to introduce characters, you know? Um, and I even was trying to think about like when I went to the adult dorm and I'm this weird guy in the kitchen who no one knows, like, how did those conversations begin? What was that first moment like? And usually it was me faking, uh, asking directions to a place I could just look up on my phone, but I just needed to talk to someone, you know, like that's it. Um, but it felt like we already had too much going on as pilot to have those moments. You're just making it as natural as you can. She's the, she, you know, this character knows this character because they were a Lyft driver, uh, two hours ago that we didn't see, you know, like, which yeah. helped, which helped cover like, why did she, you know, she met yeah. this, you know, she met Casey at that bar because the Lyft driver lives in that building and recommended the bar and, you know, right. try to tie it together. And, you know, it, it helps like, I think in common areas where it's like, she's in a space where people are coming off elevators and people are in common areas. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> um, so at least that, that is like helpful where people there don't know each other that well. And we're introducing themselves to each other. And, you know, like Evan, 
um, where nobody remembers who he is anyway. And so that kind of became <laughs> like, a, you know, a yeah. funny character thing, but also useful in that he's constantly introducing himself. Right. right. Such, such a great character. Um, how did you, how did we don't, Hillary and I couldn't figure out how did you, how did you find the script? How did it get sent to you? Oh, you we don't it? reveal the, we don't reveal those secrets. We just <laughs> have our way of, of uh, finding things. Okay. Um, <laughs> Well, but, thank uh, you. Thank you to whoever got it. I know, it exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I was excited, you know, it's just because I was, you know, um, you know, Matt, I, you know, I know you and have been a fan and, you know, Hillary, I'd you know, seen your name for years, but, you know, we'd never met. So I was kind of excited, like, oh, I can have these guys on the show. It'll be great. <laughs> um, I also go back to, sorry to be, I, I was fascinated by this sort of idea of the joke guy when you, so Hillary, when you're putting together a staff, you know, so you've, you've run shows and you put together staff. Do you think of it that way? Do you think like, cause I feel like executives sometimes are like, well, you need this many story people and this many joke people to like, I mean, th does that enter your mind when you're putting together a staff? You know, it, for me, it definitely does. Like, I think that everybody has, has things that they're, you know, really good at. I mean, Matt happens to be somebody who's good at all of those things, you know, um, and that's what you hopefully get is somebody who's good that's at all those things, but everybody has the thing that they're extra good at, you know, and I think it's okay to, to have that extra skill. So Matt being like a stand up, like, yeah, he's somebody that I'm like, okay, if, if this script is really needs a lot of jokes, like I know I can send Matt off to run a room with a lot of people and that we're going to get really good stuff. Because one of the things that Matt does is because he's really funny, he helps get better jokes out of other people because he sets a bar of like, wow, that's really funny. And then you know how it is in a room, everybody, once they get competitive, like you get really better stuff, you know? Right. So I, I really appreciate that. And, you know, so I think of that as like a benefit where I know joke guy is kind of a holdover type of thing where, yeah, you get sent off into the joke room um, and that you're not in the real room. And I think a lot of staffs would do that is like have the real room where they're really solving the problems of a script and then be in the joke room. And I certainly do, did not do that. Like when I was running a show or when I've been in charge of rooms and stuff, I, I think of it that way. But I think it's helpful to identify you know, skills and make sure your staff does have a combination of people that bring different things to the table. You know, like yeah, you, you do have to have a problem person, like even though they're really annoying, like <laughs> you do have to have that person that is like, okay, okay, guys, I know, I know, I know we all want to go home, but does this really make sense? And it just has to be the kind of person that can present it in the right way. Yeah. Thread, yeah. And hopefully and hopefully the person who <laughs> has a fix, right? I mean, yeah, that's, yeah. that's the thing. I think I've never, I'm happy to have someone point out, Hey guys, this is just a really episodic. Like there's no, there's no, there's nothing driving us from scene to scene or whatever, like a big picture problem like that. Mm. But it's always best if that person goes like, but what if early on we did this instead of just like throwing out problems and assuming this right. that other people are going to solve them. Right. You don't um, want like a two day a week consultant that <laughs> finds all the problems then it's like, okay, see you guys next week. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, um, um, no, I, and then, and I think like when Hillary put together the bad teacher staff, I always talk about the, she, the, she money balled this great staff. It was like this <laughs> crazy, like, I don't even know the metrics, how you measured it, but it was like you piece. I mean, it was uh, everyone from like Maylands, Erica, Rabia, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, it was just like this killer group. And then if you look at like the staff writers and they've all gone on 
it was crazy. And so, like there was someone who had, who had been out of, uh, hadn't written in a while on a show because they were ill, but they were coming back. And it was like perfect. Uh, the, one of the best writers and just like someone on their way up and you were letting people develop. So they were, it was this incredible puzzle of people you put together who all felt like Swiss army knives. Like they, you know, like, like me, I was supposed to be on a different show, but that show started late. So you were like, yeah, I'll take Matt for as many weeks as I can get him. Like, yeah. and I was like, awesome. Like you, you made it work. So how did you do it? Cause that is so hard to do. Right. And, and I guess there's probably a lot of people who just want to know like, well, how do I get, how do I make it through the pile onto that? Like, what was your process of choosing those writers? You know, because we got a weird like um, bad teacher was passed on. And then when I was I was in New York um, for Mother's Day for my mother-in-law and it was just happened to be where Upfronts was. And I got a call from the director saying, I think the pilot's alive. And it was uh, Don Scardino, who is so uh, I love him. But like there's this little part to him where I was like, OK, Grandpa, you'd say they got passed <laughs> on. OK, <laughs> like let it go. And then he was like, no, Deadline is saying it's like back alive. And I was like, what? And Deadline, sure enough, said like there's rumors that like Bad Teacher has been like resurrected by like Nina Tassler and that they're in talks to have it picked up, you know? And it was like, well, this was news to me, literally sitting at just like my <laughs> mother-in-law's like, you know, apartment, you know? Um, and it was crazy. And we went to like a big UTA party that night and it was like, oh my gosh, I think this is like going to happen. So every, all the other shows had staffed. So, uh, you know, one of the reasons why it was, I had to moneyball. it was 13 episodes. And it was also, you know, after a lot of people, you know, were gone for staffing. So I had to be really creative. So like Matt had already been staffed. Um, and so, you know, business affairs is not always the best at being creative, um, but to, to Sony's credit, I said, well, why he's not available, but he's available for six weeks or eight weeks. So why can't we hire him for that? You know? And so we worked that out. And then when Matt left, there was another show mm -hmm. that was canceled. Um, and the Libman, some writers, um, that awesome. I worked with on happy endings were available. And I said, well, can I hire them? And it's like, <laughs> um, okay, but it's the middle of the season. It's like, okay. And they came on and, you know, I think that it was just like, okay, let's look at who we have, how we can do this. Like, you know, it doesn't have to be necessarily a traditional, um, you know, set up. And I think that that was, that was early on when before they were starting to do mini rooms and things. And now that people are much more creative about how to get their staffs going. But um, yeah, you, but you had like, uh, yeah, I mean, I can compliment, compliment that staff all day. Like Roanheimer was like the perfect rabbinical number two, like just the calmest presence and also really funny and incredibly smart. And it was just, I don't know, the personalities. You did Fun Fridays, which everyone was excited about. Yeah. Like, what happened Eric, at Fun Fridays? We did, we did fun stuff. We would, you know, you would get I, ice cream trucks. We truck. went to, yeah. we went to um, Chuck E. Cheese. That's the only time I felt irresponsible. What was exciting though, because B Billy Finnegan, one of the writers, like had never, unbelievable, had, had awesome. never been to Chuck E. Cheese, had <laughs> never gotten. So he got to be the birthday boy at Chuck E. Cheese. Got <laughs> like the ticket. Booth. And it's like, maybe it was like the happiest I'd ever seen him. And, um, I did great. feel irresponsible though. Cause we did have a rewrite to do. And I was just like the whole time sitting there and everybody was so happy, but we're eating cake on like little plates. And I was just like, this is so irresponsible. But. It was great. It was great. 
And by the way, at the, at the time, correct me if I'm wrong, planning a wedding. Yes, yes, I was, I was planning a wedding. wedding. Yeah. <laughs> so when I went and when I left to get married, though, and you guys got to have because we had barbecue at our wedding, barbecue and wedding cake, and yeah, you know, back at the office. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was a lot. You know, I have to say, putting together the staff, like um, I read lots of lots of people. Um, you know, I I did hire. You know, some people that I didn't know. A lot of people were like, you know, recommendations through through people. Just um, you know, I think that. It's, you know, I, I think it's just, it's when you're staffing, the most important thing I was thinking of is like, I don't want to have any like assholes, you know, I don't, I don't want to have an asshole that's nice to me. And then I leave the room and they treat yeah. the other people like, you know, crap in the room. They don't listen to their pitches. Like I really didn't want the type of people that shut other people's pitches down. Or I just wanted the kind of people that made everybody feel like they're going to do their best work and they could do their best work, you know, feel loosened up to do that, feel supported. And, you know, that's what I really felt like on my, you know, my name is Earl. Like I felt like really supported and I wanted to share that, you know, yeah. when I had my first opportunity to. Well, we, we, I think everyone did. I think yeah. you, you accomplished that. <laughs> but somehow I have not had an opportunity since then. So I don't know what that says about the business. I should have been a monster. Uh, I, evidently, because yeah. there are so few talking to people, you know, you hear about so few actually good experience, good room experiences. I mean, yeah. they're out there, but there are, there are so many flavors of terrible experiences. Right. No. Um, and I think it's a self-perpetuating thing. Like, you know, like you said, you had a great experience and you wanted to recreate that, but there are a lot of people who come up in bad experiences and then they figure like, I'm going to do, I'm going to make this a bad experience, but I'm going to be on the other end of it. You know, it's the cycle of abuse yeah. that happens yeah. in these rooms. It's really yeah. sad. Well, there's a myth, there's a myth that you have to be like hazed, you know, oh, God, like no. that, no. like, Oh, you have to be the lowest on the totem pole and treat like shit and think all your ideas suck. And that like, somehow then you're going to rise from those ashes and be this incredible writer. And it's like, no, no, you know? it's, also, <laughs> like, it's so dumb to haze a writer i mean it's what like yeah. you know matt was saying like he had a thick skin but a lot of people don't so you haze a writer who you know you don't get that many writers in a room and you haze one and then they shut up for the next week because they're afraid to pitch and now you just have a useless person in the room right. whereas if you make them feel okay about swinging and missing then you're gonna get you're, you're gonna get value out of this person you've hired to do the job yeah yeah um, for sure so how was the writing you guys, so you had worked together in a room, but you hadn't really collaborated. And you know, what was the process like writing this together? You know, how did you do it? Did you split up scenes? Were you in a room together the whole time? Well, we, uh, we met a lot at right in that booth where Hillary's sitting right yeah. now. <laughs> I mean, we work, we put a lot of work into the pitch um, and told the story, basically the pilot story in the pitch. So then scripting it out, uh, I, th I think went pretty smoothly, right? Like we were in your yeah, office. I, mean, I had just had a baby. Like did we, did we pitch, did we pitch where I was pregnant or app right after, right after, right after. Yeah. Right after. So I, I mean, I think we were working on the pitch like two weeks after I had the baby, you know? So mm -hmm. it was like a, a little bit of a weird time. And I felt bad. Matt had to do a lot of extra work, like kind of on the pilot. Um, just because it would be like, I have to go feed the baby. You know? <laughs> well, there was yeah. baby screaming and stuff. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, like, we've all been there, <laughs> like, but I, I was just, uh, yeah, I, I felt pretty smooth. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I, like, I think we put 
I feel like we put so much work into the pitch and this making the story work in the pitch with like, you know, uh, the pod and, uh, and the studio and stuff like, but that, that making, getting, getting that pitch document to the story document was a pretty easy move. Yeah. And then the notes were always super supportive. Yeah. And, uh, actually they, I, I don't even remember what, but they would, they're, they would give examples of like what was bothering them, why it was bothering them. And, and it was just like, okay, so we had, we had targets. It wasn't like a general, like, I don't know. You know, it was like, yeah, we had a a great, we had a great executive, Tom Keenan, and hopefully he's still there. I know there's been such a, you know, mixed up. He was great at ABC and, you know, Nick Stoller and Connor Welch at his company, you know, um, you know, had really great, you know, thoughts along the way. And, you know, to me, like, I prefer to really work out a lot of kinks in the pitch so that when you pitch the show, you already have done a lot of the work to me. If you do all the work of the pitch, and then you're kind of like, okay, shoot, what's the pilot story going to be? You know, it's just like <laughs> yeah. that just is, you know. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I've, done that. yeah. I've yeah. done that so many, <laughs> many times. And uh, you're right. It's just, um, it, it's often bad news. Like yeah. if you have a clear vision of what the pilot's going to be and everyone's on the same page from the beginning, things just tend to go much better. But sometimes it's like, ah, you're just lazy. You know? right. yes. you know, I'll figure out the pilot. I know what the characters are. And okay. thank you so much for letting us do this. And uh, it was really great talking to you guys. Yeah, yeah this was really fun. You know, sorry if we were off topic. Okay. How great was that? I, I love those two. Um, Dead Pilot Society is produced by me and my co-host Ben Blacker and our associate producer Noah Finling. Look, if you like this show, will you just tell a friend? Will you just say, hey, I just listened to this amazing interview and maybe your friend wants to be a writer, maybe he's just a lover of television. Just tell him about the show. Uh, And if you do that, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps. Uh, You can follow us on social media, find out all the latest. We're on Twitter at Dead Pilots Pod and on Instagram at Dead Pilot Society. All right, everybody, this Delta thing uh, is uh, is something. So, so keep staying safe out there. Um, can I tell you, find a way to help someone. Be nice to yourself, and we'll get through this. We're still getting through it. We will be out of this someday. Uh, and one thing I can tell you is we'll be back next month with another great pilot and another great interview. So until then, I'm Andrew Reich. Thanks for listening. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.